Acts 12, 1 through 18. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door at the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened and they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, we thank you for this story, we thank you for this encounter that took place over Easter. We ask God for as its application today for us, may the Spirit bring us to a place of good, good transformation. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You're going to need, probably some of you are going to need a, a manuscript to follow what I'm going to share today. And this is not for those online, 
This is just for those who are in the sanctuary. So if you haven't got a copy, if you want to copy the manuscript, as I speak rather quickly, then just raise your hand and Peter, our head elder there, will share a copy of the manuscript. If you snuck in past, like ninja style, past our greeters and did not uh, get one of the uh, worship guides, then uh, this is one of the worship guides, then you can just uh, raise your hands as well and our deacons will do that because the recalibrate questions for the message are inside there as well and you'll need a, a worship guide as well. It has lots of great stuff inside there as well, so you may want both of those as well. Great passage that uh, Clark just read for us. Uh, great passage in Acts. The only passage in Acts that actually mentions Passover and Easter taking place inside there. And if you read a little bit further, you'll kind of get the impression that something tragic is going to happen to them. Those poor, poor soldiers. Herod is not going to be satisfied that the unpredictable, yet predictable, Jesus has made a change inside there. Herod will not listen to the evidence that's going to be presented before him. Herod will not see that the soldiers were all chained up directly to Peter and saying, but, but look, our chains, they've not been undone. We're still chained here. We're just lying here. He will not be satisfied with this. Herod will, like Pharaoh of old, resist the unpredictable yet predictable Jesus moving in his life. Herod will order the execution of these soldiers. Herod will do everything in his power to maintain control against the kingdom of God advancing. Yet the kingdom of God is going to advance as we've been studying since the beginning of this year all the way through. So let me just refresh your memory since we started this here that we are a movement we are a movement. Since the dawn of time, we are a movement and we are advancing. And today we celebrate this movement and we celebrate in particular this Eastern movement because it is the unpredictable, predictable Jesus that makes this movement take place. It's a very interesting sentence, the unpredictable, predictable Jesus. Unpredictable because we never know exactly how Jesus is going to rescue us, right? That's how it's unpredictable. We never know how Jesus is going to intervene or engage in our life. It's always kind of like, I, I just, I pray about it, I hope for it, and I know that he's going to be engaged in our life, but I'm never quite sure exactly how he's going to do this. And predictable, because we know that Jesus is always going to come through. Um, we know that he's going to be guaranteed. It's just, it's unexpected the ways that he's going to do this. As a pastor, one of my privileges uh, is to be able to work with lots of different couples uh, if they're serious about their relationship or if they are preparing for marriage, uh, to be able to sit down and listen to them as they're telling their story. And you know, here's the thing. You can listen to all of their stories and it's very predictable because at some point they're gonna say, we're in love, right? I mean, that's what I'm expecting to hear. And, and, and while I'm a, I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic and I like the idea of them telling me that they're gonna tell me at some point we're in love, how they got together, that's always unpredictable. It's always like, no way, I mean, how did it come about? The journey, the set of turns, the valleys for some of them, the mountains for some of them, the, the quest for some of them, the 75 years of searching through the terrible things they had to do, the frogs they had to kiss. And by frogs, I did not mention the French, I just mentioned the frogs, you know, it was just a, a reference in general inside there, but it was unpredictable. I was an apology to all the French people, I love their food. Um, it is, however, the unpredictable, yet predictable nature of love that makes love all the more engaging. Are you with me? 
Love is unpredictable, yet predictable. We love that it actually pulls us together. It's just unpredictable how it pulls us together. And it's what we need sometimes in life. Uh, we, we have so much chaos going on in life that uh, we kind of like the predictable. You know, I love to go to movies, and, and I love a great story, a fictional or, or whether it's a true one, you know, when the guy gets the girl or vice versa, against all odds, kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Proposal with Sandra Bullock. I'm just kind of like, ah, it's a great movie. I cry a little bit inside, it's just great, it's good. Um, don't laugh. Uh, when the good guy wins against all odds, Bruce Willis, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm happy he's got the big teddy bear, I'm good, it's good. But, you know, there are some of you, however, that really love really depressing movies. Uh, you, love, you love movies that have horrible endings, um, where it's not predictable. In fact, it's just, it's just depressing. Uh, kind of, you know, vanishing, and, and it's a French style where, where it actually does vanish and people just disappear and nothing good happens at the end. And, you know, to you, I really think you need help. And, and that's another sermon, not for today. Uh, but really, I mean, a lot of help. Because I think you're really dissatisfied with life. I mean, you must be so bored with life. You're so disengaged that you have to create tension in your life otherwise known as, uh, in the Bible, as David and Bathsheba. Hmm. Yeah, I'll let you think about that one for a little bit. So, not very predictable. The powerful element, though, about the predictable is the element of the assurance of safety. So, love is predictable. And love is safety, and love is trust. Are you with me? Love is predictable. Love is safety, and love is trust. We can handle all the chaotic in life and the miracle wanderings in life as long as the predictable uh, will come through, as long as we have our eyes on Jesus. And this is what Luke was telling us in the book of Acts. And this is where we are in the book of Acts right now. We are, we are coming back into Acts chapter 12. We are looking at the book of Acts. We're coming to the end of this entire series because he has been sharing all the time a much fuller, a much richer, a much greater, a much gentler picture of Jesus through the whole book of Acts of the Apostles. Now last week, we leaped ahead. We went all the way through to Acts 17 and 18 last couple of weeks. And we try to capture a little bit of the character of Paul. Uh, in May, we're gonna get into the book of Romans and Tom, Tom Eichmann and I were talking about the book of Romans because he's gonna be preaching in, in the series of Romans as well and so is Mark Johnson as well and a few others. And the book of Romans is phenomenal and we will unpack the character of Paul inside there. But Paul, when he talks about Jesus, he was telling us, you know, I dealt with the Athenians and I dealt with the Corinthians. I dealt with the elite and the commoners is what we dealt with the last couple of weeks. But all the time, he's trying to say, I want you to understand this Jesus. I want you to understand Jesus. And I took a very unpredictable journey until I arrived at this predictable place with Jesus. But as I shared with you last week, we're going to go back by, to another chapter. We're going to come back to the chapter, and we're going to come back to Acts chapter 12, which is where we are today that Clark read for us. Now, by the end of this chapter, and maybe you snuck ahead and you read a little bit ahead of chapter 12, by the end of this chapter, chapter 12, Peter has understood that the gospel is for everyone. For a while there, he's like, it's just for the Jews, it's just for us in Judea and Samaria, but now he understands, oh, the gospel's for everybody inside here. Herod, by the end of this chapter, he is boasting, right? He's dressed up in silver, which is something I don't know whether any of us ever dream of. 
on buying a suit or a dress in pure silver. But that's what Herod did. He's dressed up in silver, and then he ends up keeling over and dying by the end of the chapter. The gospel, by the end of the chapter, is advancing in full force because they want to live love and share it with everybody. And the unpredictable, predictable Jesus is being shared everywhere. So question number one for us today. Question number one that I'm gonna try and unpack for us today, and then I hope that you will process this as well. How do we live in the unpredictable times? How do we live in the unpredictable times? If it does not start well, Luke lets us know right from the very beginning, and he, prints, he, he kind of places it by saying there was the unleavened bread season and there was the Passover, and he places this twice inside there to let us know it is significant that something has taken place inside here. And he wants to let you know that this is in fact Easter, this is in fact a celebration time and a reminder that at Easter time, all eyes should be focused on reconciliation with your mom, with your dad, with your brother, with your sister, with your loved ones, with your family, with your community, with your neighbors, with your husband, with your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Reconciliation should be taking place. All matters should be spiritual matters instead. Instead, it says in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. That's how the text opens up that Clark read for us just then. Not an arrest, the Bible says, violent hands with intent to hurt the people. Herod begins this whole process by killing John, uh, by killing James, who's the brother of, of John there, by a sword. And he does this because he wants to emphasize that this is a political death taking place here. And the Jewish leaders are excited about this. Some of them are taking their eyes off reconciliation. It's Easter. You're supposed to be making peace with each other. They're focused, though, on power and control. It's the same thing that took place when Jesus was getting ready and he was going to be crucified. Herod, sensing all of this success for evil, he demands and goes and captures Peter and thinks to himself, let me put him in prison, I will do the same with him. So we start to see that there's a struggle going on here, but the predictable Jesus is all inside of this. He's working inside this. And all you want to do is, all you want to do is you want to say, come on Jesus, just stop it all right now. Stop Herod from killing James. Why don't you just intervene right now? Why don't you just stop Herod from hurting all these people? I mean, that's what I would want. Why don't you just stop all the violence against the community? But this is the unpredictable Jesus that we struggle with all the time. Because we would like to control Jesus. And Jesus says, I have an unpredictable way to make the predictable happen. We're in turmoil and we're uncomfortable with that pain. And in the midst of that, when we're uncomfortable with all the silence, there is some difficulty inside here. But the text has three big ideas that I think are very important to us to help us deal with this kind of unpredictable maneuverings of God and the way that he works with us. And I've outlined these with these three words, practice, prayer, and perspective. Practice, prayer, and perspective. Practice. I think we just underestimate just how important the spiritual disciplines of life are. Um, we have memory muscle, 
And some of us have those memory muscles that if you just leave something aside and you come back to it, you realize that actually they still exist inside there and you're able to do the same thing inside there. And it's the same for your faith. There's something about the practice of faith that allows you to be able to trust the unpredictable nature of Jesus working in your life. Peter understood this so well. He had the practice of faith down because he stood there on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Moses and Elijah. He had these experiences with them. He saw Jesus heal the blind and the lame. He saw Jesus calm the sea. He walked on the water, the sea that represented all of evil. He saw Jesus say, be still. And he saw Jesus hold him through this. He was there the night when he cut the ear off the priest and Jesus healed the priest inside this. He understood what it is to betray Jesus and to have Jesus say, I bring you home inside here. He understood what it is to run to the empty tomb and to have the courage to go inside the empty tomb and to see that it was empty because Jesus had risen. This was Peter. He understood what it is on the day of Pentecost to get up and to preach the gospel. When nobody else understood what to say, he said, let me proclaim who Jesus Christ was. This was the practice of life for him. And once you get this practice of life, you start to know that there is a predictable Jesus who's going to come through. And I'm okay, he says. I've seen how he works in the past. I can trust him because he's done this in the past in the most unpredictable ways. Not the ways that I would do it, but I know that he will come through. Prayer. I'm sure Peter saw Jesus many times disappear from him and from the crowd and go up to pray and spend time or night more often to pray. Sadly, you know, when we read prayer in the Bible and sometimes we read it through the Gospels, we get to the Lord's Prayer and when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we may think of like, you know, the, the musical version of it, and we may think of like a great operatic version of it, and we start to forget the incredible tone of what the Lord's Prayer is, and how the Lord's Prayer wasn't done just for us just to recite it, but the Lord's Prayer was done for us to internalize it, for us to place it inside us so that we would understand how to talk to God, to understand the language built up inside it. The songs that we sing in church are prayers for us to be able to connect with God. It's our united voices coming together saying, God, I want to say this prayer to you. Scripture is a great way to be able to pray. And Walter Brueggemann does this really great work with uh, the Psalms, where he says that when you're reading through the Psalms, if you understand this about the Psalms, that they are three different ways that the Psalms are written, you understand how to pray through them. The Psalms are written as an orientation, as a disorientation, or a reorientation. Every single psalm either hits this. It's either an orientation, a disorientation, or a reorientation. So when you understand this, you start to understand how they're written inside there. There are times when you look at Jesus, and you're reading the psalm, and you're reading the psalm, and you're like, man, this psalm is just like, Jesus, you are great, I am with you, and my will is lined up with you, and it is a psalm, a prayer of orientation directly with God. But then there are times when you're in the midst of anguish, and you struggle. And when your faith is just there and you're just hanging in this place of chaos and you read that psalm and there is no conclusion at the end and that psalm is a psalm of disorientation because it's the psalmist just struggling with God saying, I'm in anguish about this. God, I need to talk to you about this and I don't know a way forward. And that's a psalm of disorientation. And there are times when you start your journey and as you go on this journey, you 
process it with God and you explain to God and you say, I, I don't know the way forward. And as you go there, God reveals it to you and you start to return back to God and say, I'm now, I have my orientation back with you. And it's a reorientation back with God. So when you learn to pray through the Psalms, which is a great way to actually learn how to pray, you start to learn how to build your relationship with Jesus. You understand that Jesus is not just looking for prayers of the right words, to have the perfect words, but to have the honest heart. The honest word is the perfect word. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for you just to be honest with him. And this is the power of prayer. And Luke records this, that they gathered at Easter. They gathered at Easter. They were heavy hearts knowing that James had been martyred. He was the first apostle to be martyred. Peter's now in prison. He's soon to be killed. He's shackled up, hands and feet. Herod understands all of this. And all they have are prayers. And there would have been a mixture of prayers in that room, let me tell you this. There would have been some people who would have been prayers of orientation. There would have been some people with prayers of disorientation. God, why is James die? Why, if you're advancing the kingdom, did you let James die? And there would have been some through the prayer, through that night, through the reorientation saying, God, I don't understand. And understanding the unpredictable Jesus working a predictable way through it, waiting for Jesus to work his way out. This was their faith growing moment. Perspective. This is by far the most complex one. It's why we actually have the Bible. It's why we have all the stories inside there. It's why we have the stories about us and the stories around us as well. To have perspective is so important. You have ever been, I don't know if you've ever been in love with the wrong person. Anybody, and don't put your hand up if you're married right now. Uh, um, in the past, let me rephrase that. In the past, have you ever been in love in the past with the wrong person? Now you can put your hand up. Oh, that's good, that's good, all right. And you prayed all night long. Please, Lord, may, may you turn the mind of this person so they may see what a great catch I am. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult, right? Because you want that perspective. And, you know, there's a great Garth Brooks song. And I love Garth Brooks for all of his sins. And I know there's a few people like Eli who's praying at this moment. Please, did he not say that? May he repent of his ways. But, but there's a great song where he talks about this. How he walks in the bar and he says, thank you, Lord, for not giving me that girl. Because that was a really bad decision. If I, you had given me her, it would have been horrible. But, you know, it's a great, a great illustration inside there where he's trying to say, I prayed for her, but now I realize that you saved me from her. Oh, well, that was so lucky. Um, but at the time, perspective, we, are, we don't have that. Ever wondered why you lost that job? Talking to a friend of mine who lost a job this week, and it's just very difficult, right, when you lose a job and you don't have the perspective as to why that takes place inside there. What's going on with the company cutting back and what happens inside there? Ever wondered why Jesus seems ever so silent when you need him most, when you want him to reply? And this is what the Bible is all about. Stories are rich with examples of Jesus being unpredictable yet predictable of Jesus working in ways that are entirely unpredictable, yet predictable all the time. Outcomes that we would never have chosen, and yet when it comes together, we're kind of like, wow, that's what it is. I mean, think about it. We're celebrating Easter this weekend. Creating the plan of salvation before creation. That's an unpredictable method. I would never have chosen that method, 
but that was the unpredictable method that the Trinity decided on. Creating an heir for Abraham and Sarah, where they were well past it. That's an unpredictable method. Creating room for Joseph to grow after he's been sold into slavery, an unpredictable method. Bringing the Hebrew children out of bondage in Egypt, an unpredictable method. Knocking down the walls of Jericho, while all they did was just walk around and blow a trumpet, unpredictable method. The list goes on and on and on through the Bible. And all the time, there's this incredibly beautiful deep thread that's woven through the Bible. It's a beautiful thread. And Luke alludes to this in this text in Acts chapter 12, verse 11. And I love this because this is a great passage and great text in particular. It's Luke chapter, uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 11. It says this. When Peter came to himself, it's kind of funny. He was going through this whole vision and uh, whole moment. He says, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all the Jewish people were expecting. So the angel come in, comes in, grabs Peter, tells him to get dressed up, puts the sandals on him, puts his robe on, unshackles him, walks him through all the gates, one after another, takes him outside the prison, and only then does Peter wake up and suddenly realize, um, I'm, I'm outside. I've, I've, been, I've been rescued. And I wondered, you know, if, if, he, if he had understood that he was uh, being rescued, if he, if he would have made more noise and would have woken up the guards or not at all, or whether it would have mattered as much noise, or whether the angel would come there and he would have said, hey, what's going on? And the angel said, doesn't matter how much noise you make, it's soundproof, the cone of silence is here. You're gonna be fine, let's go, we're gonna leave. Two of you understood that. And two, we're gonna just leave, it's gonna be fine inside here. But the point is this, is that as he leaves and he exits inside here, he doesn't do anything to be able to exit. He has nothing to do to leave here. It's the same story through the entire Bible. And it's the same text that I want to bring you back, the same text that I brought you to at the very beginning when we started the book of Acts together here. It's a text in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord, when he brings them out of Egypt, he says this, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. There is nothing that God is saying that he wants you to do. He says, let me do it for you. Let me step inside there for you. The most difficult thing for us to understand is that Jesus wants to work it out in your life. And to have perspective is to understand that Jesus is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. And that's why when I think about the silence of the tomb, I'm kind of in awe. I used to be perplexed by it. I used to think to myself, man, you know, if you were, if you were going to come down and die and, and resurrect, wouldn't you want to resurrect about, I don't know, a millisecond later? I mean, surely, right? You died and resurrect. I mean, come on, salvation. Don't you want to have like the party in heaven straight away and say, it's done. But instead, Jesus is like, I got things under control. I've got my unpredictable way of making sure that the predictable will be done. And you just have to chill. You just have to understand that even the Sabbath that you as a human being seem to struggle with every single week, oh my goodness, Sabbath's coming along. There are so many things I want to do and Sabbath's come along. Jesus, who's like, oh my goodness, 
I want to save the universe. Why don't I enjoy the Sabbath <laughs> while I save the universe? Why don't I just resist the pressure to do everything, including saving the universe? And I'll just wait till Sunday morning. And then we'll begin and we'll change the universe together. And God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and the angels, I mean, they understood what it is to have the deafening silence of death. To have the separation, to have that silence. Yet, that unpredictable, deafening silence was okay because they know the predictable will come through, right? That there will be a resurrection the plan of salvation is sure that there will be an end and there will be a second coming, that the world will be restored. Jesus chose all of this, and we struggle with this sometimes. So all we all need to do is we need practice and prayer and perspective. That's all we need. Well, I say that's all we need. But in order to be able to have practice, you need to actually... Enjoy the idea of spending time with God a little bit more. And prayer, just need to start to enjoy talking to God a little bit freer. And perspective, you need to remember that he's led you in the past and he's going to lead you in the future. So my final question for you today is question number two. And this is unfortunately, and I say it's unfortunately, but deep down it's not unfortunately. It's just a hard question. What has... Jesus rescued you from in the past, and what does Jesus need to rescue you from today? See, you can't come to church at Easter weekend to celebrate the most momentous thing that transforms the entire universe and seals part of the plan of salvation and guarantees that our defeat of death has been done by Jesus Christ without actually thinking, I've got to address what's going on in my own life inside here. And this is the most difficult question. And while Aliyah and the team are gonna lead us in our first song of response, I'm gonna ask you to take that little piece of paper that's on your seats, every single one of you. And while Aliyah and the team lead us through this song of response, we have like three or four songs that we're gonna sing a song of response, but Amazing Grace is the first song we're gonna sing. I'm gonna ask you to fill in that piece of paper um, and to respond to that. And here's the thing. Some of you uh, are going to fill it in, and we've do that, done this before at church here, and, and you're not going to be able to write anything on the piece of paper, and that's okay. But between you and God, you know exactly what it is that you need to be able to say to Him. So you can say it to God, and you just fold the piece of paper up, and you come and place it inside the altar inside there. You can leave it blank. It's fine. Some of you, you're going to write down exactly what it is. The prison that you need the angel of God to come inside and to free you from without you doing anything, you say, God, I need you to actually address this in my life and free me from this. And you're going to put down that and you're going to place it inside the altar inside here. And some of you are going to write that down and you're going to write your name and your telephone number because you're going to want us to actually come and not only pray over it, but actually pray with you and to actually try to help you through this. I'm going to read a passage of scripture because I believe that our practice has been faint and that how prayer has become stale, and that our perspective has become overwhelmed. 
And so I believe that this passage of scripture found in Isaiah chapter 43 is a great promise, a powerful promise. And I want you to think about these words as you start to think about what you're going to share and write and what you're gonna share with God here. But this is the promise of Isaiah. It's a promise of Easter. It's the promise of God who actually says, hey, I can free you because I am the God who actually has freed all of us. This is what he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. See how God who took Jacob, turned him into Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt up as your ransom, Cush and Sheba as an exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God is calling every single one of us. And I know that every single one of us has a prison. We all do. Every single one of us has a struggle we have every single day in our lives. And I'm kind of tired of always just dealing with my struggle by myself. So it's time, it's time for you to say, God, give me the help, you come and release me because it's only God who can release you. So why not take advantage of this Easter weekend and not only celebrate what God has done, but celebrate what God can do in your life today for the future. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace the hour I first believed my chains are gone I've been set my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing
Father, we place before you, Lord, the things that hold us back, things that uh, we feel just too chaotic, too daunting, too heavy, things that actually oppress us, the things that uh, give us shame, the things that... Uh, remove the potential of what you've called us to. But God, call us to amazing. You call us to be beautiful people. You call us to be people who love others. You call us to be people of change. You call us to be people who transform this kingdom. God, we, we claim that power. We believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can live in our lives and it can transform us. And God, we want that today. Forgive us of our sins. Make us new. May we leave this place anointed by your spirit. May this be washed away. May we be new people. May we as new people make new people with the people that we talk to. May they see that we have seen you. May they say that they have seen Jesus in us. We ask this in his beautiful name. 